Hey again, everyone. John Navarre here again with another contemporary update for you on a few things that were current back when the episode was originally recorded in 2017, but which have since changed. Surprisingly, I only have three quick things to update you on that have changed. Everything else is pretty much exactly the same in this episode. And the episode is packed with a lot of meaty, practical info about arriving into Egypt for the first time and getting started with any visit to Egypt. That's one of the beautiful things about Egypt. Some things can change, but the overwhelming majority of things are well-preserved and stay the same, whether you go back five years or 5,000 years. So real quick, first, when talking about direct flights to Egypt from the U.S., this episode references only one direct flight, the JFK to Cairo flight on Egypt Air. Well, since 2021, there have been two direct flights from the U.S., with the second one now originating out of Washington, D.C.'s Dulles Airport. However, and this is a big however, not only is that DC to Cairo direct flight not daily, like the JFK flight is, but it has a horrible arrival schedule into Cairo. It lands at 4.30 in the morning, which means you're getting into your hotel downtown by about 6 a.m. You'll be too tired to start touring or doing anything that same morning. So at best, that first day will be a dragging half day, if that You'll have to pay for an extra hotel room night because most hotels won't let you check in at 6 a.m., but you'll be too tired to wait around for another 6, 7, 8, 9 more hours before the normal hotel check-in time is. And it's just an awful experience. So avoid that newly added second direct flight from D.C. if you can, even if you live in D.C. and you have to connect at JFK to take that one. It's much better, trust me. Second, the episode also mentions the airline Alitalia, which officially went out of business in October of 2021, but which relaunched as ITA Airways and is basically the same Alitalia operation in planes, but with a shorter name that still looks like Italy. But they are still a SkyTeam Alliance member airline, so other than a name change for that airline, everything else is pretty much the same. And third, the visa fee for Egypt. Back when this episode was recorded, it was about 20 US dollars, but in 2022, it's about 25 US dollars, and they still very much do want you to pay for that arrival visa in American cash. If you're coming with our private tour company, Egypt Elite, we'll have your visa already paid for and waiting for you on arrival, so you don't have to worry about that. But if you're coming on your own or you're coming with another tour company, they will expect you to pay for that yourself on arrival and you'll need U.S. dollars or euros to cover the visa fee in foreign currency. They do take credit and debit cards now, by the way, but it's honestly up to the whims of the gods whether or not the machine is working at any given time or on any given day, and if it is, the lines are usually pretty long because each transaction takes forever with each person. But if you are in a pinch and you forgot your foreign cash to pay for your tourist visa fee on arrival, just ask around for the window that takes cards, and you'll eventually find one. Oh, and one additional thing that I didn't mention in the original episode, but which I do want to throw in for your benefit now. Wi-Fi in the Cairo airport. Don't expect to be able to use it. The Wi-Fi system that's set up there idiotically requires you to put in a local Egyptian phone number and receive a verification code by text message to access it. So, for all practical purposes, the airport does not have Wi-Fi unless you're Egyptian or you're an expat with an Egyptian SIM card in which case you don't even need Wi-Fi there anyway because you already have data service. The only way to get connected to the internet or to call someone when you land in Cairo if you need to is to turn on your international roaming and access your data or phone plan from home. 
So just remember that too when you're planning your trip. Don't expect to have access to Wi-Fi or calling at the airport when you land unless you have an international roaming plan activated. But on that note, also know that it's much cheaper just to get a $30 local SIM card after you arrive in Egypt with more data than you'll ever use on a trip. Many foreign carriers offer outrageous international roaming plans or $10 daily plans that add up to $100 or $200 over the course of a trip. But in Egypt, you can get a local SIM card after you arrive for about 30 bucks. It's really cheap. Just don't get it in the airport. Trust me on that. They will rip you off and not actually activate the SIM so that they can get you through the line quicker. And then you'll be stuck later wondering why your new local SIM card doesn't work or why it runs so slow. And you'll have to make extra time to find a phone store in the city to go get it actually correctly activated. Trust me on that. I've had it happen to me before. I've seen it happen many times. Just don't get a local SIM in the airport. Okay, maybe that was way too much for a contemporary pre-episode update. But when I start pouring forth information you need to know about visiting Egypt, sometimes I just can't stop. But at least that's better for you. And with that... Here's the original episode of the Egypt Travel Podcast. Enjoy. Hey there again, fellow jet setters, travel lovers, and history buffs who just can't get enough from only reading about Egypt and have to go see it for yourselves. You know, Egypt is one of those top of the bucket list places that you've just got to see at least once in your life. And if you're addicted to travel like me and love it, maybe 758 more times too. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. If you missed the first episode, I'd highly recommend going back and listening to it too. Even though it was the first episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast, it wasn't just a fluffy overview, I promise. We got down into some nitty-gritty deets on things like when the best time to travel to Egypt is, what you should be actively avoiding and planning a trip there. We also covered where you should make sure you visit on the trip and what places are good to squeeze in if you have more time. We talked about reasonable dress codes for tourists and why now is such a good time to go compared to previous years and so much more. I don't want to rehash the whole episode, but trust me, you'll want to download it and listen to the whole thing. And on that note, please make sure you subscribe to the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast so that you get access to everything that's already come out and don't miss anything new when it drops, okay? So if you did catch the first episode of this podcast, you'll likely recognize my voice. I am your resident Egypt travel expert. I'm also the author of EgyptTravelBlog.com and an experienced tour leader to and around Egypt for many Americans who've wanted to visit and wanted a super friendly resident expert to show them around like a local and like we've been best friends our whole lives. And I'm sure we will be by the end of this series. So there you go. So let's dive into talking all about Egypt. And specifically in this episode, I want to talk about and share a lot of really practical information related to getting there and settling in and getting around and striking out to explore when you first get there. So basically, I want to get into all the options available to you in these categories and walk you through your first uh, two or three maybe hours on the ground there so that when you do eventually get there, you'll recognize a lot more of what's going on around you and what the options are, and you won't be confused or disoriented at best or become frustrated and get ripped off right away at first. We're going to help you avoid that if we can. So let's go. Getting to Egypt. Okay, there's only one direct flight left from the United States to Egypt, and that's an Egypt Air flight from New York's JFK Airport direct to Cairo. Okay, it takes about 10 or 11 hours but you don't have to worry about any connections at foreign airports. And you're just basically eating dinner. You watch some shows, you go to sleep and you wake up in Egypt the next morning. Bam. Okay. So 
Many of you are probably already wondering the same thing I used to wonder, and you're like, Egypt Air, is it nice? Is it safe? Is it a real airline? No, like a real airline like I'm used to? Okay, in short, all these are yeses. Egypt Air used to have a reputation for being a little jank, to put it nicely, like many other national carriers from developing countries. But I've got to tell you, Egypt Air really has upped its game over the past few years. Their planes are really nice. I've never personally had an issue with them, and I've flown them quite a bit, both internationally and domestically in Egypt. On the direct flight between the U.S. and Egypt, to be honest, I've only flown in the business class cabin on that flight, but I've found it to be comparable to all the other American carriers' business class products. And I've also known many others who have flown in the coach cabin on that direct flight, and they all say that service and quality is very similar to what you get now on U.S. carriers. The only difference, and I'll be the first to admit, this is a big one, is that Egypt Air is still a dry airline. Now, I've certainly carried a mini bottle or two onto my Egypt Air flights before, knowing in advance they're dry. If you do that, don't get caught and put them in an awkward position. But, you know, unless you really need to get a buzz on going on every flight you fly, the direct JFK to Cairo Egypt Air flight is not a bad option at all. Now, many of us love our airline alliance loyalties, whether for points or status accumulation or the benefits from said status. I'd say the majority of Americans who visit Egypt by far don't end up flying Egypt Air, but rather a European carrier or a combination of an American carrier to Europe and then a European coach share onward to Cairo. There are a lot of good reasons to do this and deal with the connection and longer trip, but keep in mind, you know, Egypt Air is part of Star Alliance, so you can still get mileage credit in that mileage network and Star Alliance network if that's your people. If you're coming to Egypt from the United States and you don't live in the greater New York City area, you're going to have to make a connection anyway. If you live in New York, you can take advantage of that direct flight, but if you live in any other part of the country, you'll either have to connect in New York or Europe or the Gulf. So let's talk about each of these options real quick. You know, I can't possibly obviously talk about every possible routing to get to Egypt, but I can tell you some of the more popular ones and best ones from my experience from going there a zillion times. If you want to fly Delta and its SkyTeam Alliance, you'll be flying from one of Delta's international gateway cities in the U.S., and they have a lot of them around the country, to either Amsterdam or Paris or Rome. And then from there, you'll connect on to Cairo on either KLM or Air France or Alitalia, respectively. If I had to pick one of these for myself or suggest one for you, I'd always pick laying over in Amsterdam. Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam is a fabulous airport with lots of food options, perhaps more importantly, lots of comfy seating and rest areas. Even though you'll be doing an overnight flight across the Atlantic and hopefully sleeping on the flight, you're still likely to be tired when you arrive to your connection airport. And having places to lay back or lay down and just rest and relax is really, really important on a connection airport. Most major airports will have areas like this in their VIP lounges, but if you don't have access to one of those, you can still enjoy many of the same luxuries as the VIP lounges have in the main public access areas at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam, which is one of the things that makes that such a great connection airport. If you have a long layover in Amsterdam, It's super easy to hop on the train right there at Schiphol Airport and ride it into the center of Amsterdam and get back to the airport in plenty of time. I used to fly KLM to and from Cairo a lot, and each time I would do day trips into Amsterdam on my layovers, literally every single time. 
But if Paris and Rome are cheaper to go through when you look up airfares or they work out better for your schedule, then by all means, go with the best flight option for you. If you like United and its Star Alliance network, you'll also likely connect in Europe, most likely in, um, in Frankfurt or Munich, Germany. Egypt Air, like I mentioned earlier, is part of the Star Alliance network. So there's a good chance, actually, if you book through United or Lufthansa, that your flight from Germany to Egypt will actually be operated by Egypt Air. While there may be only one flight a day between most cities in Cairo, there are at least two a day between Frankfurt and Cairo and Munich and Cairo because of that partnership with Egypt Air and Star Alliance. So if you ever have an issue with a missed connection or a mechanical issue and you're flying Star Alliance, you'll have more options for getting there on your original plan day because of Egypt Air's participation in Star Alliance and obviously more flights. If you're flying American Airlines and they're One World Partners, you'll likely go to London or Madrid and then connect on to Cairo on British Airways or Iberia. Now, it didn't used to be this way, but these days there are a lot of really great flight options servicing Egypt that connect in the Middle East, actually. For starters, Turkish Airlines is a really great global carrier with great service, and you'll connect in Istanbul. You know, Ataturk Airport in Istanbul is totally safe to connect in, and it's one of my favorite airports in the world, actually. If you fly business class on Turkish or if you buy access to their lounge in Istanbul, you will be amazed at how beautiful and posh their lounge is. The design and aesthetic are really incredible. I love that lounge. Turkish Airlines is also part of Star Alliance, so there are actually at least three or four flights a day between Cairo and Istanbul because there's more traffic going between those two Middle Eastern countries. So you can obviously get there a lot easier and a lot quicker if there are, like I was mentioning earlier, any issues on your original flight or delays or there's any technical issues, etc. Turkish Airlines can sometimes have longer layovers kind of like KLM, but it's also really easy to arrange a day trip into Istanbul on one of your layovers if you want to see another country and another city on your same trip. On some tickets, even economy tickets, I think Turkish Airlines will also arrange a complimentary city tour for you on your layover. And sometimes they'll even put you up overnight in one of their hotels if you have an overnight layover. I've heard of them doing that too. I'm not sure if they still do, but I'm pretty sure they do. Okay, then there's also the Gulf carriers, as we call them, or specifically Qatar Airways based in Doha, Etihad Airways based in Abu Dhabi, and Emirates Airlines based in Dubai. All three of these fly direct now to a boatload of U.S. cities, and from any of those connection cities in the Middle East, in the Gulf, it's only a short hop to finish the journey on to Cairo. As I'm sure you've heard by now, these Gulf Airlines offer incredible service and their airports and lounges on your layover will be beautiful and posh too. So that's another option for you these days that we didn't really have as conveniently available 13 or 14 years ago when I first started going to Egypt. But those carriers have really developed their networks and their products and service. And so now that's definitely a viable and top tier option for getting to Egypt. So now you have a ton of options to get there. If you live in the New York City area, you're the only ones that will have that direct flight options to Egypt with no stops or connections. But for everyone else throughout the rest of the United States, North America, most major metro areas in the U.S. are going to have at least one stop to get there on a wide variety of airlines. I didn't mention Canada yet, but Canadians also have most of the same options for getting there. 
And many Americans actually fly through and connect in Canada to take advantage of some really low international fares that Air Canada tends to have from time to time. I've actually seen that a lot. So now we've covered quite extensively the best ways to get to Egypt. Let's talk a little bit about what to expect on arrival at Cairo International Airport, or CAI as it's known. Okay, first, you can get a tourist visa in advance if you want to, but it's totally not necessary at all because you can get a visa on arrival at the airport. And I'm doing air quotes here on visa, by the way, because it's kind of a joke to call it a visa. It's basically like a little postage stamp that they sell you at the airport and slap it on your passport and then they stamp it. But it's more like an arrival tax. It's cheap and relatively negligible in the grand scheme of your entire trip cost. I think it used to be like 15 bucks for Americans. It might be 20 now, I'm not sure, but it's always somewhere in that range, 15 to 20. And this is an important but. Make sure you have American cash on you when you land so that you can get your visa stamp, okay? They require American dollars or euros. If you're coming from Europe and you have euros, that's fine too. But there are no ATM machines that let you withdraw American dollars in the airport. Actually, anywhere in Egypt that I remember. Maybe one casino, but that's another story. And it's a bit of a hassle if you have to go to one of the pre-customs, the one pre-customs ATM and get out Egyptian pounds and then try to convince one of the visa stamp windows to let you pay in pounds. They really want American dollars or euros for your arrival visa, your little postage stamp, quote unquote visa. They'll tell you up and down all day long that you can't pay in Egyptian pounds and must pay in euros or dollars. But if this happens to you, if you land and you don't have any American or European cash on you, There's usually one seller that will eventually break down and take your Egyptian money so that you can get in the country. But the best and easiest thing to do by far is to have at least 20 or 40 bucks in dollars or euros on you for the visa stamp when you get there. And if you're traveling with friends, inevitably someone won't have cash and will be hard up to get their arrival visa. So you can be the pal that lends them the 20 bucks and gets them into the country and all. Okay, the place where you actually buy your little visa stamps on arrival are these little windows that look like bank teller windows or exchange windows. They're actually your visa stamp windows. There's no application like with getting a visa for many other countries. There's no fuss or anything. You just hand them the cash. They hand you a postage stamp and you take that with your passport onto the immigration line to get stamped. This can change too, but for quite a while, Egypt has also required a paper arrival card to be filled out as well. Your airline should have actually given you one of these while you were still in the air to fill out or maybe on takeoff and you slipped it somewhere. But if not, there are plenty of these in the area where you queue up to get your passport stamped and you can just go grab one and fill it out quickly and then hop in line. It's Arabic on one side, English on another, super simple. They're asking your name and passport number and maybe where you're staying in Egypt and stuff like that. So once you get that filled out, when you get to the immigration officer, their little window, you'll just hand them your passport, your little visa postage stamp, and completed arrival card. These officers speak a little English in case you need to ask a question or if they need to ask you anything, but generally they're looking to avoid conversation and just move you right on through. Stamp, stamp, bam, bam. You get your passport back and you're off to collect your luggage. Okay, I personally try to avoid checking luggage like the plague, but of course, I understand for most people going somewhere for a week or two, it's a necessary evil. So you'll pick up your luggage at a belt after you clear immigration. Then once you got your luggage, you'll proceed over to a customs. Oh, by the way, when you're getting your luggage, there's a lot of little dudes out there with carts that will offer to load your luggage on the carts. 
and push the cart for you. Just that's totally okay. That's normal. Just know that they're looking for a, a tip. So keep in mind if you don't have any Egyptian money on you, or you know, if you have one or two dollars American, they'll be very satisfied with that. It's not like in the U.S. where you know you give them five or ten bucks or five bucks a bag, like some places. But you know, one or two bucks American, they'll be totally happy. Just make sure that you understand that they're looking for a you know small modest tip if they do that and try to avoid letting them do it if you don't have any cash because of course you don't want to you know they're trying to work for a living and you don't want to waste their time and go through all that okay so once you have your luggage then you proceed to the customs checkpoint a short distance away where a few customs officers will be there to give you the once over I've always observed that simply showing your American passport face up so that they can see the nationality always gets you waved right on through. Sometimes even with a smiling, welcome to Egypt from the the giddy officers who are excited to see Americans visiting and practice an English phrase or two, I guess. If they do want to ask you a question or two or glance at your bags, don't fret, okay? It's just standard practice there for them to touch or examine a lot more than you would see at an American or European airport, for example. So remember, here in Egypt, everyone is coming out of the same door. So there's no separate exit for locals or for lower risk customs targets, et cetera, like in some airports. All that's to say is that it's normal for the customs guys by the exit to at least glance at everyone's bags and passports. But for most Americans, you'll almost always just be waved right on through with no fuss in the slightest. And this is another big but. Please don't let that be your signal to smuggle anything into or out of the country, okay? As I've said before, Egypt is still an Islamic country, and the penalties for bringing something like drugs into the country are severe. And and when you're leaving, if you happen to illegally obtained or purchased stolen antiquities, for example, taking smuggling stuff like that out of the country, penalties are also very severe. So don't risk it, please. Okay. You can, however, both bring in and purchase alcohol if you need a little relaxer at the end of a long day on your trip. Most standard liquors can be picked up and duty-free on the way out after baggage claim, but before customs and exit. I personally love me some Di Sirono brand Amaretto. I drink it straight, just well, just on the rocks, but not mixed with anything, just straight Di Sirono on the rocks. And it's really hard to find that there. So I actually often bring a bottle or two of what I like to drink with me since it's hard to find there. But if you do find something like Di Sirono there or any other you know, high-end Western liquor liqueur, it's going to be super expensive. I think now it's about a 200% tax on alcohol, Western alcohol in Egypt. So just keep in mind, if you buy it there at a bar, or you buy it, you know, find one of the few liquor stores and want to buy a bottle there. It's super expensive. If you have something that you know you're going to want or that you drink regularly, it's going to be better to just bring a bottle with you in your checked luggage. Although you can get, like I mentioned, Western brand liquors at any or at duty free in the airport before you exit. I don't actually, now that I think about it, ever recall seeing beer in duty free. Maybe there is, but I don't know. I wouldn't count on it. Beer's readily available in Egypt, actually. But it's usually these two local Egyptian brands, Stella and Saqqara, and not the Stella like you've probably seen before in Europe or the U.S., Stella Artois. It's an Egyptian brand called Stella, and there's also another Egyptian brand called Saqqara, which is named after one of the pyramids complexes. So if you're in a pinch and you're craving beer when you're in Egypt, most restaurants that cater to Westerners or larger restaurants are going to have those two local brands of beer. 
but it's not the greatest quality, okay? Obviously, I'm sure you can expect that, but just be warned. I've drank a lot of it in my lifetime, and I'm still alive and in a pinch it'll work. But, oh, that reminds me on that note. People do say that you're taking your health into your own hands if you drink local Egyptian liquor. They're usually ripoffs of foreign brands, like instead of Finlandia, it's called Finlandi. And it's made, the label's kind of made to look like it, but instead of Bacardi rum, maybe it's Bacard's rum. Word on the street is that, well, I've heard it can do anything from just make you really sick to make you go blind if you get a really bad batch that's screwed up. That sounds a little urban myth-like to me, but I've heard it a lot and I've heard enough people say that, you know, say to avoid bootleg Egyptian liquor. And most of the expats I've known have followed the same advice, but beer, totally fine. Liquor, pay the price for the Western brands or bring your own. So in sum, beer, totally okay to drink. Two Egyptian kinds. I haven't seen a lot of, maybe you can get a Heineken once in a while. I don't drink a lot of beer in Egypt, so I can't really remember. But just don't expect European craft quality from the local Egyptian brands. It'll do in a pinch. Any kind of Western liquor at bars and hotels in Egypt, just bear in mind it's going to be a lot more expensive. Or you can bring your own, or you can grab some in the duty-free line or the duty-free shop when you're exiting the airport. Okay, so onward from here. I've been walking you through your arrival at CAI. We've exited the plane. We got our visa, which looks like a postage stamp. Got our arrival card filled out. We've gone through immigration. We got your luggage. We stopped by duty-free for a beverage or two. And we've been waved through by the friendly customs officers who glanced at our bags and said, Welcome to Egypt. Then the doors open into the airport's main arrival hall. And holy mother of Tutankhamun, it's a madhouse out there. Okay, this first scene entering into real Egypt will likely be pretty typical of a good part of your experience in Cairo, or at least the parts where you're out in public. Just like the arrivals hall at the airport, Egypt is busy and chaotic and crowded, and a hodgepodge of people from all over the Middle East and Africa buzzing around. In the airport, they'll be waiting for family to arrive on the many flights that are constantly coming into CAI. This usually means that arrivals halls are always busy and chaotic. This is also where most people encounter their first hassles and solicitations and where a lot of people start getting ripped off. If you look like you're alone or you're confused or unaccompanied when you first walk out of that door into the arrivals hall madness, you're basically marking yourself as fresh meat to all the taxi drivers and salesmen who crowd around that arrivals door to catch tired and disoriented tourists and begin draining their pockets. If you know me, or if you've listened to me talk about Egypt a little bit, you'll know that I'm a huge proponent of using one of the few Western-controlled tour operations. Whether you're there with a small group or have arranged a private escort through a legitimate Western tour company, that's the way to go in Egypt. I personally hate tour groups when I travel, probably like many people out there, but there are a few places where I absolutely recognize the enormous value added by sticking to a small group tour, and Egypt is one of those places. I'll go into more on this, on why this is later in the episode, but for now, just suffice it to say, just please trust me on this point and listen to my future episode remarks on this topic because it's extremely important. Not so much so because of the safety issue, but more so because there are a billion and one ways in which people will try to rip you off in Egypt. It's just the nature of highly touristic places that are also developing countries and have impoverished populations. Okay, so there's so much to see and do in Egypt, and it's the journey of a lifetime, really, and it's a journey to get there, really, and we just want to make sure that you have the trip of a lifetime and enjoy every minute. 
and avoid the frustration and the hassle of somebody trying to scam you or take advantage of you. The thing that pisses me off more than anything, and it's just a shame when I see someone getting hassled or pestered to the point that it causes confrontation or an incident because the hassles just won't let up. And having an experience like that can be scary and get your blood boiling. And it can at least ruin your day, if not sometimes your entire trip. Those situations, honestly, are so easy to avoid if you know what you're looking for and know how to get rid of the hassler's. And that's why having someone with you who knows Egypt, even if it's just a friend, is so critical. It's not a safety issue. It's a quality and smooth trip issue. You know, you've spent so much time and money getting there and you've been waiting your whole life to see Egypt. It's just worth the few extra bucks to trust a brother on this and let yourself be guided around. So anywho, back to our arrival, okay? Hopefully you've prearranged your transportation from the airport with your fabulous Western Run Tour Company and someone will be there at arrivals waiting to greet you and get you on your way. If you take the responsibility of organizing your own transit from the airport to the hotel, which is another thing that should be prearranged, even if you're doing it on your own, then, but if you didn't, you're going to have to gird your loins and be prepared to get ripped off a little bit in a taxi. Okay, here's the deal about the taxis at the airport. It's impossible not to get ripped off here. Just accept it within the bounds of my guidance here, I'd say. But they know that you don't have small bills on you because you probably just ran to the ATM in the airport or you don't have any local currency at all, maybe because you didn't stop by the ATM. And they know you're foreign and they know you're used to paying anywhere from like 30 to 50 bucks for an airport taxi ride in most major global cities. Now, I'm not even going to tell you what it really costs if you're a local or an experienced expat there, because someone out there listening, I'm sure at some point will try his best to insist on that rate and will be stuck at the airport for the whole week of his vacation trying to get a taxi to take him downtown for that amount. There's a secret to getting expat rates, but you'll never get it as a tourist visitor. Trust me. So just please don't waste your time. You'll be approached by multiple people in the arrivals halls offering taxis and wanting to size you up from your country of origin and your destination hotel to figure out how much to gouge you. Okay, my best advice based on when I've arrived in the country without prearranged transit and just wanted to grab a taxi and go on my own is just to go with the first or second guy who asks as long as they look decent and aren't annoying. Okay, then I tell them where I'm going and let them quote me something inflated. And as long as it's reasonable for an American airport taxi rate, Honestly, I just suck it up on arrival and agree in order to just get out of there and get onto my hotel. In a situation like this, you'll probably pay anywhere from 20 to 30 bucks, American dollars that is, but please, in the name of sweet baby Jesus, don't get conned into paying any more than that, okay? If anyone quotes you more than that, just smile and say no thanks. They'll probably still try to snag you by asking you how much you want to pay and then they'll try to haggle it up a little bit more. Just remember, you're in Egypt now and haggling is a national sport. It's wonderful, but they're good at it. If you just look for another guy or just stay firm, you'll probably get it for 20 to 25 bucks. And don't feel bad, by the way, if they act sad because you talked them down. Trust me, you're still overpaying and they'll be very happy in the end. So it's okay. Oh, and that includes tip, by the way. As I said, you're already overpaying, but it's okay for the airport runs. All right. After you agree on a price with a taxi guy, if you're doing this on your own in the arrivals hall here, you'll probably be walked out to a parking lot in front of the airport to get in your taxi or car since they can't park right outside the airport door like most airports. And since the dudes doing the soliciting are often the drivers themselves, they have to go park their cars in the lot in order to come inside and snag a tourist. 
So don't be alarmed if your dude walks you a little ways out into a parking lot. That's normal when you're getting a taxi on your own from the airport. Also, don't be alarmed if the person who negotiated with you in the airport hands you off to someone else to drive you. That also happens sometimes where a friend or a middleman will snag the tourist and walk them out to a waiting taxi driver he's recruiting for, and he'll get a cut from his friend. But just make sure you don't pay anyone until you get to your destination. If someone's doing a handoff like that, it can be okay to give them five or 10 Egyptian pounds or so if you really want to tip them. But don't let them talk you into paying for the taxi ride up front, because if they do, that's a scam. And the driver will demand the same amount of money or more when you get to your hotel and they'll pitch a fit and threaten to call the police and you'll get all upset and confused and you're likely to just shell out more money and get mad and your whole trip will be askew right off the bat. Okay, pay for the taxi after you get to your hotel or better yet, Take my advice and book with an American-run tour operator and you won't have to deal with or risk any of that type of thing your whole trip. So as your prearranged ride or self-arranged taxi is meandering through Cairo's freeways and streets en route from the airport to your hotel, you'll begin noticing more and more about the nature of Egypt. You might smell lots of car exhaust, although this is getting better over the years as older cars get off the road gradually. You'll see lots of people on scooters and packed in small buses and minibuses. You'll see cars weaving in and out of lanes, driving in the middle of lanes, honking a ton, and you'll probably be thinking yet again, what the hell is this place? But just sit back and take it all in. It's the beautiful, magical, ordered chaos of Egypt, and I promise you, you'll grow to love and appreciate it very soon. It can just be a bit overwhelming at first, and don't be scared if your driver's driving is a little hectic too. That's just how they drive in Egypt, and it just all works. I've ridden well over, I'd estimate, 15,000 miles on Egypt's roads over the years, and I've only ever been in one small accident. In nearly stopped traffic with a taxi driver who just rear-ended another taxi in front of us. So this poor guy, he was old as dirt and had Coke bottle glasses on and was leaning forward and squinting really hard. He probably shouldn't have been driving to begin with, but I'm sure he needed the money. But God, he had to be pushing like 200 years old and probably went to grade school with Moses or something. But I just felt so bad for him. So I gave him the full fare plus some more out of pity and just walked away. But that's the only accident experience I've ever had. And like I said, it was almost in stop traffic and quiet suburb of Cairo. But just don't let the traffic scare you. It just tends to work and you'll get there. And that's just the chaos, the beautiful, magical chaos of Egypt. Now, unless you're staying in one of the few hotels out by the pyramids, in which case your taxi ride may be a little more expensive because that's really far out and few people stay out there. But unless you're staying out there, you won't actually see the pyramids yet on your ride. But you'll see a lot of other neat things that you probably won't even recognize the significance of yet. As you are riding into the city center, you'll probably start to see some mosques. You'll see some beautiful old mansions along the roadside. You may pass the main train station, and you'll see Cairo Tower off in the distance. You'll pass the Egyptian Museum, whose pink facade is distinctly recognizable in the daylight. And you'll go there later. You'll hear a lot more about that. And we'll talk more about that. You may drive through Tahrir Square, which is the site of Egypt's major revolutions and mass protests back in 2011 and 2012. You'll likely come up on the Nile River, which cuts through the heart of the greater Cairo metropolis. Most of Egypt's major five-star hotels that visitors usually stay in in Cairo are actually downtown in this area that you've now arrived in along the Nile. 
So this is most likely going to be your final destination on your taxi ride to your hotel. In the next episode, we're going to talk enormous detail about Egypt's hotels, which ones I'd recommend since I've been to almost all of them and stayed in most of them, even lived in a couple of them. I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of each property, the different quality levels you can expect, despite what ratings or reviews you might read online. I'll kind of put that into a little bit of perspective and let you know compared to what you're used to and what you expect in major international brands with star ratings. We'll go into all of that in detail. So with that, I'll leave you here and we'll see you in the next episode. 